0: This is Opinionated, a roundtable debate that fascinates with each new thought-provoking guest, the place to convey strong ideas and at times the casual controversy. Join Features Editor Ben Schiller and reporters Anna Batakova and Danny Nelson as they push the conversation further with their own criticisms and reactions to the latest Bitcoin and crypto news from around the world. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice.
1: Hey everybody, this is Opinionated. I'm Ben Schiller and I'm joined today by Anna Bedakova and Danny Nelson. Hey guys.
2: Hello. Good
1: morning. Morning, morning, morning. We've got a fun show today. We're going to discuss uh, three uh, recent stories on the site, starting with Danny's amazing scoop about chain analysis. So Danny, tell us about this. It's rather controversial. Analysis is an important blockchain tracing company. WalletExplorer.com seems to be a honeypot for tracking Criminals or, or really anyone that comes into it's uh, nexus and it's a bit controversial. So talk about that, please.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess amazing scoop for me, maybe not so amazing for Bitcoin privacy uh, hawks or right. specifically uh, criminally intertwined Bitcoin privacy hawks. Now, what this site does, and it's worth noting, it was created by a guy who later went on to work at Chainalysis. It allows people to enter uh, wallet addresses and track the funds associated with those wallets as one can do with uh, like publicly available blockchain data. Now, you know, that in and of itself is not suspicious or anything of that sort, because it's just a service that is being offered to people on the internet. What makes it notable in this instance is the fact that if that address is cross-listed with a suspicious address on Chainalysis's database of addresses, then the website will log that person's IP address. And if need be, Chainalysis's law enforcement partners will have access to that data. This is a feature that Chainalysis brought to, basically advertised to uh, law enforcement authorities in Italy saying, look, they're going to come to this site because they might be fearful of leaving a footprint on an exchange. So instead of that, they can do it here. We'll capture their information So not only are they saying we have this ability to log IP addresses, if you operate a website, then logging an IP address basically just amounts to taking a guest list of whoever walks through the front door. It's not technologically complicated, but the fact that they have this website and they're leaving it up to capture this information because they know that people will come here to avoid the perception of getting trapped from an exchange, that's extremely um, notable, I guess. Just to back
1: up here. So this is based upon leaked documents that you got hold of, and it's based upon a presentation that they were giving to the Italian law enforcement. Yes, we were. Just explain
3: how you came about it. Yes. So I was alerted to a leak on the dark web that was associated with, I don't remember the Italian name, it's uh, Forza De the Tutti Dark Webo or something like that, a Boopity. I hope I get in trouble for that. But the Dark Web Special Forces in Italy, the Dark Web Unit was working with Chainalysis, as many law enforcement agencies do. Chainalysis is in the business of working with financial institutions and law enforcement in tracing illicit crypto flows. And this leak included a whole bunch of documents about what the the Italian police in Europol is doing, but also what Chainalysis is pitching to these authorities. And what really interested me and what we wrote about on Tuesday was how Chainalysis is doing these things with this, what is a promotional honeypot website.
2: I think it's important to explain maybe for people who had never dealt with Wallet Explorer, so, the most important thing that Wallet Explorer does compared to the free blockchain explorers like blockchain.com or blockchair or anything else, they lump the Bitcoin addresses into clusters and attribute them to the entities. And in my past experience trying to find whose BTC wallets I was watching at, Wallet Explorer was not of a huge help. And I heard from some researchers that th- their methodology was a bit flex, like they would lump down too much, like, for example, they would cluster together the Mt. Gox addresses with uh, a huge, like, crowd of entities that just interacted with Mt. Gox. So, but it really strikes me that the fact that you go to this website, well, it Explorer, and wants, want to check whose address you're looking to can flag you as potential wrongdoer. Thinking about this methodology, like, okay, you, you, you see what people are looking for and you catch their IP address as well. I guess the real criminals would, A, use VPN, VPN in a sophisticated way, which involves hardware and is not that easy to catch as, you know, me or you just logging from our home computers and looking stuff up. So I, I would be very curious to hear about any success stories when Chainalysis really succeeded in uh, catching somebody for, (laughs) you know, based on using Wallet Explorer and checking out criminal wallets, uh, that would be really interesting. But the whole story really struck me as uh, kind of weird, but I might be wrong.
3: I would agree with you. You know, if you're a proper online criminal, you need to have super duper OPSEC. You need to have everything... We never have financial advice. This is not criminal advice. But if it were, I would say you need to have everything on your VPN. You only use Tor. You never, ever, ever, ever get on the internet without being on those two mediums of entrance. And you're very careful about not having patterns that are traceable, this, that, the other. Honestly, you just have to live in a Faraday cage and never go outside of it. But talking about the successes, not every criminal is very smart, when it comes to online hygiene, and Chainalysis's presentation to the Italian authorities actually talks about two instances where their different scraping techniques and uh, actually yielded successes. One was a suspected ransomware payment facilitator who was caught checking their address associated with Huobi. And then the other, which actually utilized a separate tracing strategy. That Chainalysis has deployed involved their use of running Bitcoin and Electrum nodes around the world. Now, it's worth noting that people in the Bitcoin privacy community and people who would understand the tech concepts behind running at one's node never thought that Chainalysis and the other tracers weren't running nodes because when it comes to tracing cryptocurrency, it's actually quite useful to basically be running a piece of the hardware that individuals connect to in order to to confirm transactions, but you know, this is not something that the company has ever publicly stated, and it's very interesting to actually see them pointing out to law enforcement, look, we're running these nodes around the world. We're running a series of of Bitcoin network and Electrum network nodes, and we're doing that because people, when they connect with their uh, light wallet clients, such as SPV or Electrum." they have all of this information about themselves, their IP address, their wallet addresses, the software they're using. All this information is leaking because they're not running their own node. And when we run our own nodes, we can capture that information. And so the second instance of a success that they cite to the Italian authorities was from the welcome to video child pornography uh, criminal bust. I think that was in 2019. This was a huge win for law enforcement. And honestly, I mean, you know, we talk about the, the downsides of privacy, but it's not like China is out there trying to, to hunt down the Human Rights Foundation's Bitcoin addresses, right? They are in the business of catching criminals. In this case, the governments, like the, uh, the US and Korean authorities, were able to take offline a huge ring of uh, child pornography suspects, but because one of them wasn't very careful about how uh, he connected to the internet. The website itself was run on the dark web in a very untraceable way. But the Bitcoin node he was running was uh, attached to the ClearNet, and he had not been very careful with that. And so that uh, allowed Chainalysis, presumably, to scrape that information when it connected to one of their nodes. And there you go.
2: Yeah, I actually wanted to just uh, check about something that Danny mentioned. So running the, their own node helps Chainalysis to track people who are running their own nodes. Because if you're not, the transaction that you are sending will be traced back to the IP address of the node that does process and does confirm that transaction, I guess. To use the nodes to track a transaction, you really need to be near the source of that transaction because every node is connected to, I think, eight other nodes or something like that. So it's it's like a small number of nodes to which the node is communicating constantly. Like it needs to, receive information about transactions and, and send its own information, you know, r- relay across network. And then you need to be connected, well, at least at some proximity to that node to see what transaction it is sending. I- I'm now wondering how broad this network of nodes Chainalysis is running is, is around the world. You know, wh- where are these nodes? I-, I actually have been suspecting that Chainalysis is running its own nodes since they've been running their global report, I, I think I asked them about that if they do, like how, how they attribute the transaction geographically, because they have this famous series of geography report when they say, US received this amount of Bitcoin in a year, like Latin America received this amount of illegal funds, like Russia received this amount of ransomware money, and you're like, how, how could you geographically attribute all that?
3: Had they ever given you any insight into that, or did they skirt around the answer?
2: Yeah, I I don't, think they, I don't think they said anything definitive about the nodes. I just think that for this network to be effective, it should be like really vast. like you, you, you should have nodes everywhere. If this is the case, I'm scared. <laughs> like, that's a surveillance network that you know is kind of unprecedented.
3: Yeah, and I I don't have any insight into how big that would be, but you are right. Like in speaking with our former colleague, Colin Harper, who is, he gets really in the weeds with the technicals of Bitcoin. He was saying, you know, a node is only as effective as as its geography. If you're going to have a global perspective of this thing, you're going to need nodes all over the place. And I mean, I don't know what the economics are of running nodes. I don't believe it's that expensive. And, you know, if your business model is bringing usable, meaningful data to governments about illicit crypto, You know, then you're going to spend the money just to put up that infrastructure. So I don't know how big it is, but you're right. If they're going to be doing this around the world, they're going to need a comparable network of nodes. So what about the ethics of this? I mean, presumably uh, law
1: enforcement and chain analysis would justify running a surveillance network like this because they're going to catch molesters and child pornographers and, and, and really bad guys, but they're also going to trap a lot of people who are coming onto that site and they don't know what's going on and they're just being dragged into this dragnet. So what do you think about the, the ethics of this,
3: Danny? Um, do you think this is, is crossing a line? Well, so I don't know if I think it's crossing a line. It's hard to take what's said at face value, but if one is to understand the documents that were leaked for what they say, and what, if one is to believe it, then it doesn't appear that Chainalysis is actually, you know, logging every single IP address that goes onto the site and that looks up an address. It seems that they seem to be saying, you know, I don't speak Italian, but you know, from my Google translation and my consulting with its friends who do speak Italian, it seems like they are only logging suspicious wallet addresses. So if you have one that's on a list, then they're doing it. Is that really it? I don't know. That's at least what they're telling law enforcement. If it is more constrained to that, then at least there's some sort of consideration they're making. But who's to say that they're not taking that more valuable step of logging every single one? Now, Wallet Explorer, if you look up blockchain wallet explorer on Google, this is the number one or number two link. So this is a really well-placed honeypot for people to fall into. I think that where the ethics of it becomes more complicated, I guess, against Chainalysis's favor is in the documents, they're saying this website is taking advantage of people's tendency to believe that they're coming here to escape the possibility of leaving a footprint on an exchange that they think will work with law enforcement. So, you know, right. even if that wasn't in the document, one could say reasonably certain that they were preying on that psychological tendency. But they're saying, look, this is how people are thinking, and we're going to use this fear that they have as an asset.
1: And just to be clear, I mean, when you, when you spoke to them about the story, they didn't have any comment oh, they, on this? They, yeah.
3: they didn't have a comment, no.
1: What do you think, Anna?
2: Well, I think nobody is surprised that Chainalysis' business is financial surveillance on the blockchain. And the phenomenon of financial surveillance is not new like we, we have it in the traditional mainstream finance And we know that actually it fails very often, like the famous FinCEN file story showed. And not only that, the biggest banks in the world often has been used for money laundering from the the most nefarious actors. And the whole system of financial surveillance did not stop that. First of all, I think the criminals will be looking for ways to circumvent this, to avoid being detected see the wallet explorer is a pretty old website and since it was launched a bunch of other services came to life where you can check if bitcoin you're dealing with is quote-unquote dirty if it was associated with something illicit which means if you try to sell it on the major exchange they will block your address that's not only helpful to criminals you know some people just buy bitcoin from you know peer-to-peer and they don't exactly know if this Bitcoin has any criminal association. So even as a matter of online hygiene, you know, you want to buy this Bitcoin. If you have a chance to check if it's labeled as dirty, maybe you should. So I think it's really interesting to see how this financial surveillance on blockchain, how effective it will be in the future. But talking about ethics, if this kind of financial surveillance will become pervasive, And more and more countries start using that. I kind of worry about countries like China, like Russia, where both financial surveillance and financial censorship can be applied to people who do no harm, but are, for example, voicing um, disagreement with the ruling force. The future is scary. That's what I believe in. And what Danny unveiled is just a symptom of it.
1: Great, great story, Danny. Congratulations on the scoop. I think we're going to move on to a couple of other stories that we want to cover now. So, one is about uh, Gary Gensler. So, that's the uh, chief of the SEC, uh, the most important regulator in the United States uh, financial industry. And I think it's fair to say that this former MIT. Professor was seen as a friend of crypto, someone who really understood the industry. He's uh, taught a number of courses at MIT about blockchain. And him coming into the SEC after the last guy, Jay Clayton, was seen as a breath of fresh air and, and good for the industry. But I think it's fair to say that he's uh, disappointed a lot of people and is, is now sort of seen as, a, as an enemy of, amongst some people. What do you think about this, Danny? I mean, do you think we were wrong to think of
3: him as a friend of the industry or is it just a question of? Over expectation. Well, so you know, this week has been Masari Mainnet, and Ryan Selkis, who we'll get to later this episode. He opened Masari Mainnet by playing the Imperial March, which goes dun 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 dun, which is of course Darth Vader's theme. And what was on screen? A picture of Gary Gensler. And he he thanked. This is a paraphrase. He thanked the Lord for allowing this conference to take place. Of course, minutes later, the SEC, as rumor has it, served someone at this conference, which is hilarious. But to get to your question, Ben, with him, a lot of people were excited because he is undoubtedly the most knowledgeable in the crypto space regulatory chief that the US has ever had at any level of government. For those who actually were familiar with what he was teaching at MIT, you might not think that That would necessarily mean that he's immediately going to be pro crypto. He's told his students time and time again that he is very interested in the technology, but definitely not pro DeFi. And, you know, a lot of the topics that he's dealing with now as an SEC chair have evolved so far from where they were when he was teaching even two years ago. It's amazing. But he is definitely disappointing people who were not tuned into really what what his beliefs were because they were focusing on the fact and which is a fair thing to do that he is certainly the most knowledgeable i would say that that knowledge makes him dangerous is is a is a loaded term but i guess it works with a lot of people are viewing him now the knowledge that he has over you know crypto's dirty laundry because he is so knowledgeable makes him more dangerous in the perspective of those who want a more hands-off regulatory regime, which is definitely not what Darth Jensler is bringing to the table.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a rumor even that he wants to be the next Treasury Secretary as well and continue with the job of SEC, which would give him obviously unrivaled and unprecedented power over these matters. Anna?
2: I should say it keeps fascinating me how crypto community loves to be hopeful about new regulators The whole concept of the crypto dad Christian Karo and crypto mom Hester Pierce just shows you how people are craving for big guys in the government finally saying, okay, crypto, here you go, you're fine to be. Except these two cases, maybe the Hester Pierce and uh, Christian Karo, the community gets disappointed all the time because, you know, kind of expectedly, the regulators gonna regulate. and. It's not in their interest to be friendly to crypto, you know, to, to play friends with crypto. It's in their interest to serve the government, which wants to regulate.
1: So, relatedly, and he brought up uh, Ryan Salkus, who is the founder of Mazari, which is a boutique research company, and he's actually a former CEO of uh, Coindesk as well, probably responsible.
3: Is he? For us even being here, yeah. Of yes. Course. Really? He used really, to be the really... CEO
2: of Coindesk,
3: yes. Yeah, he... in like a, a
2: long time 1934?
3: ago. 1934? When was that? Well, he it's... was really the, the it... founder
1: of Consensus, our big conference. Anyway, he has his own outfit now, Mazari, and they've set up a, a new conference, Mainnet, which is very sort of Consensus-like. Anyway, he announced this week in a tweet. It was rather enigmatic, and he said he uh, decided when, as you said, this SEC process server came to his conference and served one of his attendees, that he was really going to run for U.S. Senate. I think in 2024, to be a champion for crypto and really push this into the kind of political bloodstream. I think what's interesting about this is it's part of a sort of trend we've seen recently of the crypto industry taking the gloves off in terms of muscling into the DC conversation. So we had the big infrastructure bill and a lot of people felt blindsided by this provision to put a tax on crypto transactions. And they now want to put in more lobbying muscle to really communicate the case of crypto to politicians there. So what do you think about uh, Selkis' tweet? Do you think he's really going to run for office? And and what does it say about the larger kind of political battle that we're going to see in the
3: years and months ahead? I think that the universe trends towards chaos, and this is a sign of that. I think that it will be extremely entertaining to see the man who goes on Twitter by 2Bit Idiot and has a history of tweets. I'll just leave that statement there, has a history of tweets, attempt to run for public office it will be a field day for the media, it will be a field day for crypto, and it will be severely entertaining. I'm disappointed that we have to wait until 2024 for it. And I don't think that it will end well if his goal, which I don't think it is, is actually to win. Not having said that, it will undoubtedly push crypto more into the conversation if he's able to mount a credible bid. Selkis identifies himself, I believe, as a single-issue voter And that issue is obviously crypto, you know, when it comes to U.S. policymaking, crypto really isn't that important, guys. Like, we're cool. We have tens of billions of dollars in TVL, but, you know, there are more important things in life. Um, Really? There are more important
1: things in crypto? I can't
3: believe that. Oh yeah.
2: Well, well, maybe by 2024, you're gonna have, you know, the entire city in the U.S. populated by crypto by the I, crypto community, and, oh and crypto regulation will be a single important issue for those constituents. Yeah. How about that?
3: I truly I mean, hope not. I mean, Why Selkis, not? It
2: should be a fun place. I would go there.
1: I mean, Selkis joins a, a long line of illustrious crypto people to have announced runs for a public office. Brock Pierce is another person that, that springs to mind. I wonder how he feels about being associated McAfee. with... McAfee is another one, R.I.P. R.I.P., President uh, Power. That's right. So, I mean, what do you think, Anna? Do you think he'll, he'll really run? Do you think it's just a, a tweet that people put out?
2: Will Zelkis really run? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, at this point, it, it looks more like trolling. I think the, the congressional campaign in the U.S. is a pretty difficult. It's a complex and very costly thing. Yeah. You really need to spend a couple of years of your life on that. And will Selkis be willing to do that? Change his entire life for this one ambitious goal? I don't know, maybe yeah. maybe he will be.
1: Some of these people can get the sort of notoriety and the benefits of running simply by announcing that they're running rather than actually running. So maybe that's what's going on here. But don't you think in the next sort of cycle of politics we will see more sort of so called crypto candidates, people who are actually a championing these ideas and these issues as part of their campaign platform? Do you think there might be a political benefit for that?
3: Certainly for some, and as long as it's not going to be, you know, there be all and end all as it would be for a candidate selkis. You know, Cynthia Lummis is probably the best example of a undoubtedly pro-industry voice who is now in public office. She is a very vocal Bitcoiner. She also has heavy Bitcoin bags, as any self-respecting Bitcoiner would. But she is definitely pro industry. And she, if it's not her only political position, she's very libertarian. She represents Wyoming. I think that in certain situations, you'll see niche candidates champion Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in the industry as part of a broader message of deregulation. And so I think that you might actually continue to see, because the Republican Party, the party of deregulation, than the Democratic Party for sure that it will emerge more, if as a political issue, than as one from Republican candidates more so, because there's an ideological tie-in there, a natural tie-in that you might not find as easily with uh, Democratic candidates. Now, that's not to say that Democrats are anti-crypto on its face. I believe it's a more natural political position to take of one of deregulation for Republican candidates. So as this issue grows in importance, and it certainly is with stuff like the infrastructure bill, now it has proposed a tax on cryptocurrency or a rather more stringent tax collection uh, schemes, That this sign that the industry is not going away, and therefore more candidates will probably have to at least answer questions about it. Yeah. I mean, there does
1: seem to be a cleavage recently between uh, left and right with Elizabeth Warren, particularly leading the charge to say that uh, crypto is bad and should be regulated out of existence effectively. Although there were some other people like Andrew Yang, for instance, who recently ran for New York mayor as as a a Democrat who's been a champion of crypto before. So it can kind of go both ways. I think Uh, it's
2: interesting to see if crypto will become a bigger political issue in the U.S. And if it does, what end goal will be the most important? Because you know, just uh, thinking as a populist, I would rather take bad crypto approach to attract more voters to say, hey, you see all these ransomware attackers, all these hackers, all these drug dealers, they're using crypto, and we're not going to allow them to do that anymore in our country. That would speak to so much more hearts than you know saying innovation is coming we're gonna let the digital economy thrive but it will be interesting to see if this issue will be bigger in the minds of the voters
1: i think it's coming i mean look at bukele in el salvador i mean it's his whole persona is based around bitcoin
2: but nobody voted for that see 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 the issue (laughs) with el salvador is that it was just imposed on people and then people were like why? <laughs> we yeah. don't want this. <laughs> so
1: He seems to be winning more votes uh, internationally amongst the Bitcoin crowd than he does in his own country.
3: Yeah, that's yeah. it's, it's not a good look for a country that doesn't have a lot of money and has to really think about its debt situation to uh, buy a volatile asset and only to see that volatile asset crash immediately and then continue to sell off. It might
2: be a savage experiment for many
3: people. Oh, for sure. You know, it's one thing when a treasury is pumping money into this asset, and it's not that much when you compare it to Michael Saylor or something of that sort. But if individuals of that country are actually buying and holding, and now they're seeing that their, their new asset that their president is talking to them is falling precipitously, these people don't have a lot of money to spare. So one questions the logic, if there is any.
1: So I've just realized that uh, the three stories that we've been discussing today, the Chainalysis, Honeypot, Gary Gensler and Ryan Selkis and the sort of politicization of crypto, they all speak to the same kind of theme, which is about the clash of the state versus, uh, you know, private money and and Bitcoin. So it's going to be fascinating to see how these three uh, issues play out and how that continuing ongoing uh, conflict is going to happen. Okay, you've been listening to Opinionated with Anna Bedakova. And Danny Nelson, and I'm Ben Schiller, and we've had a great show today. We hope you've enjoyed listening, and we'll catch you next time.
3: Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and check and us like out. And like us, and like us too, please. We, we and need like it. us, please like our, us. Our fragile egos We're
2: craving egos. for likes.
3: <laughs> we need the likes. <laughs> Bye.
0: You've been listening to Opinionated with Ben Schiller, Anna Badakova, and Danny Nelson. Today's show is produced, announced, and edited by Michelle Mousseau with additional production support from Eleanor Paul. Our theme music is by Ellison. Have any questions or comments? Send us an email at podcasts at coindesk.com or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.
1: Hello, listeners. If you're a financial advisor, manager, or CFA looking to learn more about Bitcoin, investment strategies, and tools to share with your clients,
3: then you're invited to attend Coindesk's Bitcoin for Advisors event on October 6th. It's a fully virtual event experience designed for advisors by advisors who have found ways to
1: get compliance ready in order to add Bitcoin advising to their practices. You can head over to coindesk.com events to secure your complimentary registration today. That's coindesk.com slash events, where you can register for free. We'll see you on October 6th, and thanks for listening.